Uh, I, uh, this, this last week, um, don't know if your family participates in trick-or-treating, but our kids went around and, of course, you know, have just a wild amount of candy. And there was a video that was going around that made me a little teary, and I'd love to, love to share it with you. I think it'll uh, encourage us in what we're talking about here this week. Uh, it's very short, so you got to pay attention. But look at this sweet, sweet kid. There's no audio. You just have to watch him. Not sure what he's dressed as. He sees the bowl. It's empty. Goes, no. What? Does it happy dance? Puts candy in the bowl. That, he does deserve a round of applause. I don't know where that kid lives, but well, well done, dude. Also dressed, I think, as a businessman. I don't know why you'd want to wear a tie when you don't need to. But... uh is that not the coolest thing? I saw this this week and multiple people sent me this video like, this just gives me like hope, you know, for the world to know there's a kid who goes up to a bowl. Because I know in my experience, if there was a house with a bowl, it would be empty. You know, like I assume they want me to have all of it in my bag. Uh, there's actually a whole bunch of these this week. Kids who went up to empty bowls and then decided to put candy back. And there's a, a video of a kid, an older brother, who is like forcing his younger brothers to put candy. And they're like, Stop it. And he's like, don't you want to be nice people? <laughs> Force them to put candy, which is a funny moment. Um, I think this, is, this hits us, right? Somewhere in our heart, we go, oh, gosh, it's so sweet to see. It gives me hope because that means there's a young man somewhere who thinks, oh, if I see an empty bowl, instead of being bummed out, I actually could look in my bag and take what I've been given and, you know, give it for other kids. I mean, obviously, he knows he's going to go to like 50 more houses and get plenty of candy. Um, but what a sweet thing. And this is what we're hoping for the next four weeks, the month of November, we are doing a series that we're calling Entrusted. And the hope is that we get an opportunity to think about this in our lives. What does it look like to be people who have been given much that God has just blessed upon, blessed upon, blessed? And uh, what does that look like? And how, what does that even mean? Like what blessings has he given us? And what does it look like to be people who uh, continue to give that back or overflow. So we got four weeks. We're going to look at our time, our treasure, our talent, and our tickers, which are just our hearts. We just need a T word there at the end. Um, and uh, this week we're going to look at hearts, if you guessed, you guessed right. Um, and we're going to take just a moment each week to consider what that looks like. Next week, Ben Wasik, one of our elders, is going to come talk about treasure. I, I've been so encouraged how he thinks about this. And then I'll have some opportunities to look at our own talent and our time. What does it look like? What does the gospel say about these things? And so first, just to introduce our uh, series here, uh, so you understand where we're coming from, this is not like a concept that is uh, uh, like in one part of the Bible. It's not like just Jesus came and said, hey, I know this wasn't the way it was, but now I'm thinking maybe it'd be good if we were like blessed people. This is a thing that was always how God created us. So even back in Genesis, when he makes a covenant with his people, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. This, this is like his plan for his people. Is that I'm going to bless you, and then you're going to be able to bless others. It's like you get to carry these blessings that I'm giving you to other people. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is cool. This is like our mission. Is that not just, hey, I'm going to heap blessings on you, and you guys can just hang out and enjoy all this cool stuff that I'm doing for you. I'm going to do that so then you get to bring that to the rest 
um, of the world. And we hear that throughout all the scripture as Jesus comes, as we hear him uh, give us the great commandment of loving God and loving people, those things that are tied together. And then even in Romans, we hear this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. So our God is going to fill us with joy and peace that comes from knowing Christ and the gospel so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, we're filled with that, not just so we like, we can keep buying bigger homes and bigger warehouses to store all of our blessing, but we're giving it to so we get to bring it out. And so this idea we get to spend for four weeks is what does it look like to be people who overflow well? So not just people who, we're not just saying, just go be nice people. Just make sure you give candy if the bowl is empty. But people who are filled with the hope, with the peace, with the joy that comes from knowing the Lord. And then if you're filled, you have to eventually overflow, right? We, we can only be so filled. And so what does it look like to be filled to fill ourselves and then be entrusted with that blessing to go bless others. And what does it look like with our time, our talents, our treasures, and our hearts? And this fits right for us at Hope. We like to use this phrase to say, what are we about here at Hope Heights? We're about gospel that's in community, that's on mission. So this gospel is good news that Christ has come to rescue us, to give us life, to take us from death to life. And that good news, what do we do with that? Well, we do that in community, we, we encourage each other in that. We grow in that. We care for each other in that. Sometimes God uses us to bring that blessing to fill one another up. And then as that overflows, we get to go on mission together. I think of it as a, a car, like we're in a car with Jesus and he's driving, but we're all together in this car, maybe an RV, and we're going somewhere together. We're not just sitting like in a parking lot having a party with Jesus, but we're going somewhere to pick up more people for the car. And so this week we're starting with the ticker. What does it look like? to be filled in our hearts, to be made alive in our hearts, and for our hearts to overflow. And so I just made a quick Google search, found some of my favorite references to the heart, some just all-time classic songs. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love a good achy, breaky heart? Anyone not like that song? Of course not. No one's going to raise their hand to that. My heart will go on. I mean, every song, right? Everybody's album has a song about hearts. Lots of follow your heart. There's a million mugs and shirts. If you hear any interview after a football game, we gave it all, like we just had our hearts in the game, right? And of course, we get little hearts we can click every single day. You have to make that decision if you're going to click on social media. I could click a heart. Is that communicating that I love you? Do I want to say that? Should I just do a thumbs up to say I support it? Or am I giving you love? It's, there's a lot of decisions made just in clicking that little heart on our social media. Steve Jobs says, when you ask him about a heart, he says, follow your heart, but check it with your head. And so I think, Culturally, we see often this exchange of like, we want people to just follow their hearts, but we also know just from experience, that if you just say, just do whatever your heart desires, that, that can lead to not real healthy things. I think if all of us lived through junior high and high school, right, we're like, don't just follow your heart. Maybe you use your head within that too. So we, we sometimes balance this, like we want you to think, we want you to reason, but we also want you to follow your desires and hearts. We live in a culture where following your heart and, and following your desires, what feels right, uh, often is the primary means of what we decide um, to do. And there were times culturally where it was the other way, right? If you follow your desires, that isn't noble, it's silly. You follow your brain and what's right and what you do, even if it doesn't feel Right, and so there's all this, this balance, right? We see Steve Jobs mentioned here, and we're going to kind of redefine it in a different way. I think Scripture says something different. Tim Keller, um, pastor, theologian, says it this way. He says, The heart is used as a metaphor for the seat of the most basic orientation, our deepest commitments, what we trust the most. 
is what we love, most love and hope in, what we most treasure, what captures our imagination. It's that, that like deep foundational, what moves us. Every heart has an inclination, something it is directed towards. The direction of the heart then controls everything. Our thinking, our feeling, our decisions and actions. What we most love, we find reasonable, desirable, and doable. Whatever we cherish in our hearts most controls the whole person. So the heart isn't just a feeling thing. It's not just a thinking thing. It's like the all of it together, that motivation, that, that thing, that core engine that moves us towards things. Because sometimes, right, a decision you make is out of, I just thought through this, and this makes the most sense, even if it doesn't feel the best. Sometimes our decision is just straight feeling. Depends on personality, right? For some of you, you might be more feelers, so you might be more thinkers. Some of you might have that friend that you're frustrated with because they're all just doing what feels right. And some of you have the friend you're frustrated with because they're just always thinking through stuff. They don't just enjoy things and feel good about things, right? That friend might be your spouse. And so you may have had to work through that in your household. Or maybe your kid and you think, gosh, I don't get why you do this because they are a feeler or a thinker. It's different. And, and Tim Keller here, and I think in scripture, we're seeing this heart is this deep combination of all those things that moves us towards things. I also wondered what, I mean, we wonder what Steve Jobs says that's helpful or what Tim Keller says. It's nice to know what Jesus also says about the heart. Um, A good man brings good things out of good stored up in his heart. This is from Luke 6. A good man brings good things out uh, out of the good that's stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Here's, you may have heard this phrase in scripture or heard of it. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Or from the heart is how the mouth speaks, right? There's this motion of like what's deep in the heart. And he's using the word heart here as this like foundational motivation, this core of who you are, the, the thing that orients you to all of the world. Out of that comes what comes from your mouth. Jesus is hanging out and talking to Pharisees, uh, people who uh, just live by the law, like by the rules. And he's talking and they're, they're upset with him because he's hanging out with sinners people they would say just follow their hearts and do whatever feels right. And they're saying, well, those people don't know how to live because they're just following rules. And he's saying, I I think all of you have a problem with your heart. And we see what comes out of your mouth as being an indication of what's really down in there. And there's other ways, right, to indicate what our hearts look like. But I think the way we speak or don't speak, even in the manner with which we speak, often does indicate what my heart, if you really want to know what I'm really motivated by what my hope is really in, often the way I speak, who I speak to, who I don't speak to, can indicate that. So there's kind of two ways we see this happen. We see hearts fill with life, they become alive, and then they become life-giving. If we're just talking with speech, with our mouths, just life-giving would look like encouraging people, maybe sometimes knowing when not to speak, like when to not use my mouth actually says something about my heart. Are the words I'm using just to to make myself look good or to gain approval? We've talked in the last few weeks about idols. Is it just to to worship an idol? Whether I'm literally praising that idol or just saying things to get more approval or or maybe I just want control over something. What about the manner with which I speak? Is it life-giving? Is it careful? Is it gentle? Can I hold my tongue when I really want to hurt with my words? And sometimes our heart is filled Scripture would say with death. So it's life taking. Our words become harsh. They become quick. 
sometimes again our words, maybe we refuse to give words that can actually be taking life. Our words aren't careful or gentle. So we have these two kind of places we find ourselves with words that come out that are life-giving or life-taking. And so that's what our hope is here as we look at what we've been entrusted to. What does it look like to have our hearts filled so that they overflow life and not take life and not bring death? And so I really want us to think, uh, consider that part. What does it look like to fill up? Because we don't want you, um, I, I don't want you just to run off and say, I'm just going to be good. I'm going to make sure I put candy back in the bowl. I'm going to say nice things. I'm going to not yell when I usually would yell. We want it to overflow from your heart because then it's, then it's your heart. Your, the overflow is actually whatever was put in your heart in the life that's brought through Christ. So we're going to look um, first at what does it look like to have your heart filled, your heart healed. What does that look like? And what does your heart look like? Why is it so important that we consider this and don't just say, go be nice? Well, in Jeremiah 17, we actually get a little picture into the heart, our own hearts, and why it's tough for us just to, to do this, actually impossible. So in Jeremiah 17, it says this. This is what the Lord says. He's coming through Jeremiah. He's talking through this prophet and he's talking to his people. He says, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from their mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. This is our heart turn away, our motivation, our hope turns away from the Lord to other things. We're cursed. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. See these picture he paints of this heart, this person? They're dried up. They're, they're in a desert. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert. Just in the desert would be bad enough. And then the parched places, like there's not life here. It's, can you imagine like a, a, a dried up cracking earth, the heart that's falling apart, that's cursed? And the next verse says, but... Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is him. So what if we turn our hope, our, our love, our hearts towards God? They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. See the difference? I love the picture here. Just in a, a wasteland, in a desert, no one lives there. There's no life here to the one who turns their heart to the Lord is like a tree that's planted by streams. They don't have to worry about when heat comes. They don't have to worry about when drought comes. And not only that, they never fail to bear fruit. They're, they're not only just growing and, and healthy and green, but they're also bearing fruit. They're also producing fruit that helps others around them. And then uh, Jeremiah 17 ends this little section with this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's deceitful beyond all things and it's beyond a cure. It's saying your heart, you, for you to fo just follow your heart, just to follow your desires aside from God, just say, I'm going to go after what I want to go after, what feels right in my flesh because of sin. Our hearts are broken and deceitful, and they lie to us, and there's no cure. Well, well, thankfully, we know that there is a cure. But first, let's just take a second before we get to the cure. What, what does this look like? What does it look like to maybe live in this a little bit more? I got sent this, uh, this <laughs> picture this week. I think it gives a little 
picture of this. This is from The Onion, so this isn't real news, but kind of is. <laughs> it says, the weighted blanket sure to succeed where CBD's salt lamp oil diffuser, acupressure mat, bath bombs, and noise machine failed. <laughs> this lady, she's all her hope. She's like, if I get this weighted blanket, I will finally sleep. <laughs> I, I think it's really funny because it actually is kind of true. Um, but how often is this our heart? We say, I just need rest. I just gotta, I just need peace. Okay, if I get this thing and I light it next to my bed, then I'll sleep. I didn't see him to work. If I burn this oil, it will, nope. If I take this certain thing, maybe if I, if I do the right workout and the right things that I can finally just get peace in my soul, like deep in my, this, this foundational heart, right? This place of my hope. If I just get a blanket that's heavy enough, it will do it. Not, not these aren't necessarily bad things. White noise machines helps us sleep at our house. At least helps people sleep while their people are noisy. Um, but if my hope was in that, right? If my hope, my my true like foundational rest was in that, then I would be pretty bummed. And I think this is a, a little picture of what our hearts really do, right? We we chase after things, looking for peace and joy, for patience, for self control. And we find that our hearts are deceitful and they're beyond cure. We run after many things and find that these hopes don't fulfill us. Well, there's good news. As maybe you saw in Jeremiah 17, we hear in Ezekiel really, really good news. We have these broken hearts that are going to overflow from our mouths and in our actions more parched land, more lifelessness. But in Ezekiel 36, we hear this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. It's incredible. I, I love this picture. This, again, it's this dried up, hard heart that God says, I'm going to take that out. I'm going to give you a heart that has life in it. I'm going to give you a, a heart of flesh. If you notice the uh, pronouns in this, I will give you I will remove from you. There's someone outside of us that's going to do this. There's someone who comes that takes our hearts of stone and makes them alive again, who takes these hopes and desires that we have and fulfills them and fills our hearts so that we can overflow. It's, ultimately, we see this in Jesus. This is not what it looks like. This is one of my favorite, like, funny Christian art things. Uh, have you guys ever seen these? Uh, with you always pictures. There's like Jesus with every occupation. He's like with a farmer and he's with like a carpenter. There's one where he's with a clown. This one apparently he's with surgeons while they're doing heart surgery. Not like this. He didn't actually come and open you up and take your heart out. He gets down deep. He dies on a cross. He's raised to new life and he ascends to heaven. Jesus comes in our brokenness because those broken hearts cause sin which causes a punishment of death, and he takes the death. He, he goes into the ground, but he doesn't stay dead. He, he rises from the grave. He conquers death. He ascends into heaven, and today, right now, he's on his throne in heaven. He's made a way for us so we can turn our hearts to him, turn our lives to him, and then he heals our hearts. He does the surgery and does the work to make our hearts new, to make our hearts go from stone to flesh. We hear this in Colossians 3. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. 
So as we lay with our dead hearts, thinking, how are we ever going to fix these things? I keep finding death coming out. I keep finding life-taking coming out of my mouth and in my actions, and they become very selfish. Jesus then raises us from the dead. He gives us fleshy hearts. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Then Christ, who is your life, appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the gospel story. Christ has died, and he's risen, and he pulls us in there with him, and he rises from the grave with us. And we're alive in him. Our hearts are alive in him, so our hearts are filled, and they now can overflow, not us, but him. And his love and his joy and his peace. And that's what we get to bring to people are those overflows of those things. We get to give our heart to people knowing that we no longer have to scramble to try to make our hearts alive. Our stony, hardened hearts that we never could make alive. We don't have to spend our time trying to do surgery on ourselves because Jesus has come to change our hearts. And we're his. I love how uh, Matt Smethurst Smethurst, I don't know how to say it, it's a cool last name. He says this, he wrote, wrote an article called Don't Follow Your Heart. He says this, if a traditional view of identity, if who we are, is you're your duty. So you, you're what you do. And a modern identity says you are your desires. So who you are is what you desire. So your identity is the things you desire, the things you love, or the things you do. Then the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that you are your saviors. That what you do and what you feel are not what determines your identity. Jesus does, which is really good news. I think of it like this. If a grandpa and his grandson were sitting together, the grandpa might say, imagine them like at a grandfather's retirement party. And the grandfather says, I worked for 40, 50 years at the same job. And he confesses, I never really liked it. So his grandson says, why would you? Why would you work somewhere you don't love with all your heart? He says, well, it's not about if I liked it or not. I had a job to do and I did it. That's who I am. That's who we are. That's who my generation is. We do things even if we don't feel it. That's who we are, right? Duty. They're, what their, their job was, what they did. The grandson says, oh, how silly is that? You should have done whatever you wanted to do, whatever felt right. You should have followed your heart. That's what I would do. See this? We have this like, this moment. They both roll their eyes at each other. Okay, whatever. Have fun making art with your friends, right? <laughs> hey, Grandpa, you seem like you hate your life, right? Jesus isn't calling us to either. He's not saying one of those is what we're called to do. Find our identity in what we desire, not find our identity in what we do. He's saying you find your identity in what I've done, and who I've desired, which is you, and to rescue you. And so we've been entrusted with new hearts because of what Jesus has done. He's given you a new heart, a new life from stone to flesh, from death to life. We're alive. Our hearts are beating. But it doesn't always feel like that. And so we can be filled, right? Our hearts can be filled with that. We can know the gospel. It changes our hearts. God's the one who changes our heart. But it doesn't always feel like, and in my house, and in my life, and in my week that's coming up, I will for sure have moments where life-giving does not come out of this mouth or come out of the actions of this body. My core desire, my motivation at moments is not Christ. I would, I would love it if it was all the time, but I'm still 
My heart still has these broken parts. As Christ has given me life, I'm still working through that. So I need then, what does it look like to overflow? I need to continue to be filled so I continue to overflow gospel and not just overflow me working at it. This is where my pillow comes in. Greg, you got my pillow for me? Here, toss it up. Thanks, Greg. Oh, Greg gave me his heart. Oh, it's actually my heart, but yeah. Uh, this is my heart pillow. Anyone have one of these? Anybody? Usually someone in the room might have one. I was given this heart pillow six years ago when I had heart surgery. So when you're a pastor and you had heart surgery, you get to talk about it every time you talk about hearts. Uh, I was given this pillow in the hospital. It actually serves a purpose. When I first had surgery, my, uh, while my chest was healing, I had to hold on to this often to give pressure to my chest because it hurt a lot to move. Or if I had to cough a little bit, it was terrible. So they said, oh, hold on to your heart pillow. Um, but it's like a pillow I can't ever get rid of, right? Because it's like represents people sign notes they came to visit me. And so there's like a, I don't know what this is, a drawing of something. Uh, my dad wrote a note on me here, my kids. And I carried this around for months to uh, hold. And also like everyone asked you, so you get to tell them about how you had heart surgery, uh, which maybe has some not helpful motivation in it also. But the reason I, I bring this today, because this pillow reminds me every time I see it, that I had heart surgery. I mean, it, it, you can't not see this and go like, that's weird. You have a pillow that says Fairview and has a heart on it. And I say, well, it's because I got it when I had heart surgery. When, when somebody actually like opened my chest and, and rescued my heart, like in a, in a physical sense, right? A, an actual surgeon who knows what he's doing went in and, and replaced my heart valve so my heart would keep working. He actually made my heart work better. I came out of that and I could breathe and move and run and, and all sorts of things changed about me because my heart all of a sudden was fixed. It was working, it was pumping. My whole body changed. I was like cold all the time. Before that, I was, because my blood was actually working. It was like actually cool. And so what I want to encourage us with is what does it look like to have a heart that's filled so that it would overflow? What does it look like to continue to, what does it look like to have a heart pillow, kind of a souvenir of the, a reminder of what God has done in your heart so that we continue to be reminded and continue to have our heart worked on. And I hope I don't have to go back through and get another pillow, but we can have all of these little heart pillows throughout our day. And I want to share a few different ways that that happens. What are things that would remind us that Jesus is the one, right? That we'd set our eyes on him and he'd continue doing work. And so I, it help, it's helpful for me to think of it. And these, these are three ways I often think, how are these working in my life? So I think of the word of God, and the Spirit of God and the people of God are things that God has given you as, as ways to continue to remind you that your heart has been changed, that would fill your heart so that it would overflow and so we could be people who would be willing to give our hearts, to overflow our hearts to those around us. So just a few ways for me this, is, this has happened. There's a story how the Word of God can do this, can be a, a sign to you, a reminder of you. There's a story about two men walking on a road right after Jesus was killed and Jesus comes up to them. Now he's unrecognizable. He makes himself unknown to them. And they say, hey, what's, he says, why are you so bummed out? That's my, it's the Drew translation. Why are you so bummed? And they say, did you not hear? This guy came and we thought he was going to save us. And then he died on a cross. It was terrible. And he says, oh, no way. I don't think that's the whole story though. And they're like, yeah, I think it's done. I, he was our hope and now he's not. I don't. And so then it says he opens the scripture to them, Jesus himself, does a Bible study on a walk with these guys, the best Bible study ever. He opens his Bible and it says he shows how all of scripture 
pointed to Jesus. He reminds them that like, oh, this isn't the end. You see in scripture, it says he's going to raise from the dead. He had to die and he had to raise from the dead so he could defeat sin and death and give all of you life so your hearts could be changed, right? He opens this up to them. They can't believe it. It's so incredible to be with him. They invite him over for dinner. He comes over as they get there. They have a meal. He breaks bread, does like communion kind of with them, uh, and then he disappears, which is wild. Like what a day. They'll never have a cooler day in their entire life than that day. Every party they're at, they can tell that story. Everyone tells cool stories and they go like, oh, cool story. Did you hang out with Jesus? And then he disappeared. Not as cool as that. Uh, But here's what they say. He disappears and then they say, was not your heart burning within you when he opened the scripture to us? Did you hear that? Was not your heart like alive and on fire when Jesus opened the scriptures to us? Now, it wasn't just because he had like a cool Bible that he cracked open and it like somehow like flames came out or something, right? Or it was some new version that they had never read. It wasn't like he had a, cool commentary on the Bible. He just opened scripture to them. And you know what he did? He said, yeah, that, that's about me. That's about Jesus. That too, that reminds you of how good God is that he's come and died for you and rose and defeated death. And that, just that good news, reminder over and over of what Jesus has done, set their hearts on fire. And so I encourage you, as you open your Bible, as you open your Bible app, The word of God isn't just like, let's learn some rules so we can be good people and make sure we give candy to the bowl, but it's a, the word of God reminds us of who Jesus is. It holds up our heart pill. It says, this is who Jesus is, what he did for you, how much he loves you and how he's made you alive and it fills our hearts. And so our hearts become more alive, which then causes us to be people who can give more. uh, The spirit of God, it reminds me of a quote by Francis Grimke, a great African-American pastor uh, who I, re- I really treasure. He says this, so he says, in our troubles, anxieties, perplexities, the longer I live, the more am I impressed with the wisdom of speaking more to God and less to man. He can do more in the way of helping through all of our difficulties than all others put together. Talk more with God, less with man. <laughs> That'd be a good little sign on my wall. Like it's like this whole, you know, like whatever the signs are you put on your walls. This is what I need when people walk in. Talk more with God, less with man. Welcome to my house. Um, what, a, what a statement though, right? The spirit, what does it look like to be people who are filled, our hearts are filled and healed because we just sit with the Lord. So we just say, God, I, I can't do this. I don't know what to do here. My heart is broken. This doesn't feel right. Stuff is messed up. What, what can I do? And just let him heal you and care for you. Let him remind you, hey, I, I'm here to, to heal your heart. I'm here to care for you. I love you. Maybe just listen to the Lord. I think the Spirit of God will continue to renew us and encourage us and heal us. We gotta take some time though. Do do we even just sit with Him? How much more do I go to man before I go to God? So the last way I think that would just fill our hearts is the people of God. This week I had the chance to hang out with um, some pastors from around the Midwest. I get this. It's really a blessing to be in this cohort with other church planters. Um, we met in Chicago for a few days just to encourage one another. And somebody was sharing something very hard. It wasn't even my story. It was just a story of someone else that was dealing with something really hard in his church. And one of the guys said, just, can we just stop? For, we were all trying to brainstorm. Hey, how about this? And how about we, you could do this? And you could do this? He said, just wait a second. I read Psalm 4 this morning, and I think it helps. 
And so he just opened his Bible and he said, let the light of your face, this is from Psalm 4, let the light of your face shine in us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound in peace. I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now that's like the word of God combined with the people of God, but that often is kind of how it happens. He read this to us and then like a room full of grown men like all got tear and we all faked like we weren't crying. (laughs) We're like, oh, that was really good. Thanks, man. (laughs) And then we cried together. He, if it weren't for Joe, saying, guys, just, let's not forget that we can sleep at night because God alone will make us dwell in safety. Do you remember why we dwell in safety? Because Jesus came and died and he rose and he's in heaven right now on his throne. He's king. I can sleep because I know Jesus is king. I just needed a person for, for two minutes to remind me of that. So the people of God, do you have the people of God around you that will continue to fill your heart, continue to remind you so that your heart will overflow love? And then we get to be people entrusted with this new hearts that are being healed and formed always, that hearts that are growing out of God, we get to be people then who overflow our hearts to others. And what does that look like for you then? What is an overflowed heart? What does it look like to give your heart to someone? To maybe, when it's inconvenient, give time to someone. When you want to say a harsh word, hold your tongue with someone. When you're just not feeling it, God can give you that heart to still be with someone. When there's that friend who no one likes to hang with because they're kind of annoying, maybe God will overflow from your heart and you get to be the one who cares for them. So as we start our series here, uh, I want us to really consider the, the core motivation, not just what's it going to look like to, with our treasures or our talents or our time, which may be a little more practical. What does it look like for us to have hearts that are healed and fixed? And then what's it looking for that heart to be one that overflows? I, I want to share uh, with you a person. We're going to have a little segment here called Let's Hear From a Hopester. I want to bring Sadie up. Where is Sadie? You guys want to give it up for Sadie? She is going to share with us. Uh, Sadie is someone, I think, who does this really well. And uh, so she's going to share with us. We're going to interview her for a minute. Here's your chair, Sadie. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You get one of those chairs. These are Heights colors. Isn't that cool? We had them special made just for us. You got to go on the other side. Because I made a special slide for you. Look at this. Yeah, you ready? You have to go over there. Look. You don't have to sit right under it, just over there. Otherwise, they're going to think I'm Sadie. Oh, wow, you're sitting really far away from me. Oh, yeah, coat. sorry. I forgot about it. Um, and I'd love to just hear. I'd love for people to get to know you a little bit more. Um, and then hear a little bit of how this, what this looks like in your life. So I'll do a little introduction. Fill in anything I miss. Sadie uh, goes to Hope, right? You go to this church. Correct. <laughs> Sadie just began overseeing our hospitality. If it weren't for Sadie, we wouldn't have coffee and treats. That alone deserves an applause. Um, uh, Sadie is an intern here at Hope, and uh, she's going to share a little bit of her heart of what she hopes to do through ministering things, but I guess that's a start. First, just give us a like super mini uh, testimony. Like, wh- how did God change your heart? What did that look like? When, maybe when did that happen? So if you want to give us your micro testimony, yeah. that'd be great. So I grew up in a... Christian home. Uh, Going to church, I went to a really small Christian school my entire life. Um, So I knew a lot about God. I knew all the facts, thought I was brilliant and knew all the answers. 
Um, and then I went to college and did crew, if anybody did crew, uh, and then started going to Hope. And it's through people and crew and in Hope where God really revealed to me, I didn't actually have faith. I just knew a lot of facts. And so through different people, he just began to soften my heart. And yeah, he, through a mentor, um, made me realize just, yeah, that I really needed to step back and kind of see what he's done for me. And that applies to me and how much he loved me. So I had a mentor who forced me to do a silence and solitude discipline, which I am still really bad at. But she let just like a supervised silence time where she's like, sit there for like 30 minutes and talk to God. And so I sat there for 30 minutes and I was like, oh man, I hate this. And I was like, oh God, what do you want from me? And in that moment, he was just telling me like, I don't want anything from you. I don't need anything from you. I just want you. And so in that moment, he just really showed me like he loves me and, and began to soften my heart towards that. Wow. Nice. That fit well into my things. Thank you for doing that. You're welcome. That was nice of you. Um, I'd love to hear uh, maybe a few examples of how you've seen it change when your heart has changed. So maybe from like uh, what God has rescued you from and then maybe what he's rescued to. Like if you have any examples of that in your life of how how you've seen that change. Yeah. So before when I think about my heart, I think about it constantly running. So constantly going towards the next thing to try to fill it or fix it or heal it. So whether it be looking to people to fix my heart or stupid things like, oh, if I get this pair of jeans, I'll finally be happy or something like that. Um, versus when God changed my heart, um, just it was more still, like knowing that I've mm. actually found the one who gives rest. Um, so yeah, a more restful posture, I think. That's really good. Um, I had a very similar experience. Like I remember s- sleeping better. That was one of the first things I remember coming to Christ and thinking like, oh my goodness, I go, I go to sleep really quick because I wasn't worried at night like I, like I was. Um, and lastly, I'd love to hear practically how has that played out? What does it look like for your heart to overflow? And there's one thing you're really passionate about, lots of things, but one thing you're very passionate about and just in your life, what does that look like to overflow practically right now in Sadie's life to give your heart to people? So when I'm thinking about how God has changed my heart and how that is good news, um, I think about that this idea of entrusted, right? Like we're entrusted with the message of the gospel. We're entrusted with this good news. And it's this message of hope and salvation for all people. And knowing this and knowing that we've been giving this message to share it with others, um, I just think about the people around us. So especially Minneapolis, Columbia Heights area, the unique makeup of this area and all of the refugee and immigrant families here. And so thinking about these people and knowing that God loves them and knowing that this message of hope and salvation is for all people and knowing how he's like changed my heart, I want to go out and I want to share that with others. I want others to experience that. And so I volunteer with Arrive Ministries, which is an organization that, or that comes alongside newly arrived immigrants and refugee families to help them integrate into society, learn English, just, yeah, get better situated. Um, and so in one of these r- relationships that I formed through this, uh, the woman had been here for about 15 years. So she knew Christians, yeah, had been here for a while, and she had never heard the gospel message before. And so we were going through the story, going through John, 
and she just like stops me one day after a conversation. She's like, this is the most beautiful story. She's like, how come nobody's ever told me this before? Almost like angry. And that just shook me like, yeah, this is good news. This is a beautiful, this is the most beautiful story. So how can I like have this changed heart and not share it with others? Because I mean, it's the kindest thing to do to move towards others with that message. That's awesome. Um, Sadie is a huge uh, supporter of Arrive and has, has encouraged many of us to be a part of it. And I would assume you would encourage people, a shameless plug here, to come to the Arrive meeting afterwards Please today. do, yes. <laughs> if you're interested, I'll hear more about what's going on. Even just to know how to pray um, or who to be praying for, we have a multiple Arrive teams here at uh, Hope Heights that get the chance to just hang out with neighbors that they probably normally wouldn't get to hang out with, uh, which is really cool. That's an incredible story. This, that's like encourages me. <laughs> I got to read John. It sounds really good. Um, would you pray for our church, for our community, and then we'll keep moving here. Yeah. Thanks, Sadie. Uh, God, thank you so much for today and for this Sunday and for all these people. Uh, thank you for the immigrant and refugee people that you've moved towards yourself, God. Uh, we know that you've changed our hearts um, and just help us be faithful stewards of your gospel mm -hmm. and move towards our neighbors um, and sharing this message of hope. In your name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Sadie. Give it up for Sadie. It takes a lot to get up here. You can leave it. Leave it here. I'm just going to start calling people up here. Get ready. Some people got really nervous. <laughs> I said that. Um, I'm going to call our band up here. We're going to get an opportunity to respond to this news. Respond to this great story we hear from Sadie. Respond to the fact that God has changed our hearts. He's making us new. And uh, we, we like to take some time to just reflect and respond here at the end of our service. So our band is going to be able to sing some songs. First, I want to give you um, a few questions to think about. Do you know that Jesus can heal your heart? Maybe today you just need to be reminded he's the one who can do that. Maybe just, just share and confess. How is your heart hurting, broken, or hardened? Maybe just have you, have you taken an inventory even of that? What are you turning to to heal your heart instead of Jesus? And maybe consider even who needs your heart today. Who could you even just take a step to pray for? Today, it's a great step of overflow of the heart to pray for. Now, every week, we take some time to respond. A few ways that we respond here. Uh, first, through communion. If you go out the back doors here, out, we can't have food or drink in here, so, and that's communion. So we, you can go right out the door, right outside the door, our little cups with wafers and uh, communion. We take communion as another reminder, like my heart pillow, just a reminder points us to Jesus, remembering his death and resurrection. Um, there's tables out there to take communion. We also do it through prayer and through singing. There'll be people in the back of the room that have yellow lanyards. If you want prayer, you don't have to say anything. You just walk up to them and say, I need prayer. You could share how to pray. Uh, they would love to pray for anything with you. Um, they love doing that. And so if you'd like to get prayer, just pray where you're at. Also, we'll be singing, just speaking the great words of the gospel through song. Um, and also, you can always respond in giving because um, with grateful hearts, uh, we give to God, what he's already really given us. Uh, and so you can do that online. Otherwise, there is a table in the back, communion table on this side, uh, if you want to give in person. There's also gluten-free options, I believe, at both tables. Um, let me pray for us, and then we're going to uh, just worship and respond for a little while here together before we end our time. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your sweetness towards us, that you come and you take our broken stone hearts and make it flesh, make it alive. I know that there are broken, hurting hearts. And so we pray, Lord, over those 
over our friends, over our family here that has hearts that are hurting, that you would heal them, that you'd bring peace and joy to those hearts, that maybe today they just need that. They just need their hearts to be mended and healed and filled. Lord, I know too, for some of us today, our hearts are full. I pray you would use us, you'd overflow us, that we'd move towards others and give hearts to those. And people would know the hope, this great, the greatest story of Christ and this good news. We pray this in your good name. Amen.